0: There are dire warnings that New South Wales will be hit by increasingly extreme weather. 2015 was the hottest year since climate records began. The record show this July was the single hottest month of recorded history. Australia sweltered through its hottest spring on record. Climate change is now affecting every country on every continent. the rate
1: that's of great concern. I uh, what do you so, what that rate down to you? Oh, it's human activity. We have everything we need. Some still doubt that we have the will to act. But I say... The will to act is itself a renewable resource. Hello and welcome to episode 12 of Climactic. Hey, we made it to a dozen. The people's voice on climate change.
2: <laughs> yes. Hello, Mark. Hello, listeners. Welcome to Something Special, a wonderful interview with Laura Wilson of the Big Little Brush toothbrush company mark can you tell us a little bit about where you first met laura
1: yeah i heard laura speak on a panel by a network of socially minded business people here in melbourne that's called the social innovation network And if you get the chance to come along to one of their events here in melbourne i highly recommend it i was really kind of immediately struck by the way that this group of people at big little brush decided to use their business skills for a greater purpose not just for a normal startup Laura, as you'll hear, had some pretty interesting jobs. I was only slightly scared the rest of the interview when she told me she uh, studied psychology at university, and I I kept expecting to get diagnosed every minute from there on. But (laughs) but it was a really good chat, and it was actually quite a historic day for climactic, Rich.
2: Uh, What was that, Mark?
1: Well, it was the first time there were two Kiwis in the studio.
2: Ah, yes, and what a victory for the shaky arms, the Slow Cup of podcast interviews
1: well it was a bit less one-sided than that rich Um, (laughs) great to have you had to
2: sneak that in didn't you
1: (laughs) (laughs) it was great to have two kiwi accents in the control room though
2: well one and a half
1: (laughs) Ah, fair enough
2: (laughs) but yeah it was a great interview and i could listen to laura's gentle kiwi accent all day which I did, Mark. It was a long edit. Sorry. <laughs>
1: That's all it's right. a very good chat.
2: But it was Laura's views on everything from sustainability to the power of big corporate companies that really resonated with me. Okay, here's Laura Wilson talking to Mark at the Library at the Dock in Melbourne.
1: Laura, thank you so much for being here on Climactic.
0: First ever podcast. Thank you so much for having me.
1: My pleasure. Absolute pleasure. As you know, Laura, on Climactic, we mainly talk to individuals, you know, people, regular people sort of doing what they can to understand and live with the realities of the time we live in. But today we're doing something a bit different. We're talking about a startup. Now, we're talking about a company, unlike most startups nowadays, that are actually you're making and selling a tangible product. We're not talking about bits and code and, and internet stuff. We're talking about an actual physical hardware startup. Hardware might be a weird choice of words there, actually. <laughs> one that is changing lives, avoiding massive volumes of waste, and is close to the lives of each and every one of you listening. We're talking today about toothbrushes. So, Laura, you're our first Kiwi on the show. Welcome. Welcome.
0: Wow. Great honor. (laughs) (laughs) I know that you're an honorary Kiwi yourself.
1: Yeah, I've I've got the passport to prove it.
0: Well, uh, you jet Kiwi then. (laughs) Yeah, even
1: though the voice does not convey it at all. (laughs) And people are very cynical about the fact I call myself a Kiwi, but uh, it is true. But now we've had the first Kiwi guest, so thank you very much. uh, We're going to outnumber the Aussies one day. My pleasure. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I know you've listened to the show before, so you probably know what to expect or think you know what to expect. So I'm going to throw a curveball at you right up the front here. (laughs)
0: Right then football or afl Ooh, uh, do you mean in terms of like what i would call it
1: i have no idea that's all i know about either this of those is my, this is showing
0: my <laughs> levels of engagement as well football i'd say like if we're talking about soccer mm-hmm. i used to play when i was in high school ah. uh, i haven't really taken to watching football in the same way i'm hoping that the fifa world cup that's on at the moment is going to spur me into action and make me more of a fan has it so far no,
1: <laughs> games are on very early in the morning. They are.
0: Uh, I've been catching the highlights and trying to, you know, keep up with the conversations with my workmates. But to be honest, it hasn't really fair enough piqued my interest that much. I enjoy doing it, but I don't so much enjoy watching it.
1: Very good. Well I've got a podcast recommendation for you then. There's this guy here in Melbourne that puts on this amazing show about football called By Association. Oh, I'm right. using his microphone at home that he gave away as a door prize <laughs> from winning a podcasting award. So fabulous.
0: Um, I need a book called Football for Dummies or AFL for Dummies if you know you've got any good recommendations.
1: Let's talk about things that are in your wheelhouse that are your passions. You know, th- this, even though we're talking about a business here and kind of maybe getting away from an individual story, this is still an interview about you, Laura. So your mindset, your motivations, your perspective. But I understand that when you've got a startup, your life and its life pretty much do get intertwined and enmeshed and sort of hard to separate out. So can you tell us a bit about your life maybe before Big Little Brush? And specifically, kind of what came in really handy for the startup when it came about? And then maybe what really didn't?
0: Well, I guess, as you know... A New Zealander, first New Zealander on your show, so yeah. Sorry, that
1: was like the only kind of dis- like the <laughs> defining feature I gave for you was Laura. She's Kiwi.
0: <laughs> <laughs> great honor. Yeah, I guess one of the benefits about growing up in New Zealand and also Australia as well uh, is that we just have such great access to beautiful environments. In New Zealand, there's such amazing native bush. Parents still live in Wellington, and where I grow up, every time I hop off a plane, the first thing I do is go for a walk in the bush. It's only about three minutes trot from my parents' house. And it's the most refreshing thing ever. But I think doing things like that have really spurred me in the direction of being a little bit more environmentally conscious. Mm. I wouldn't say that I've always been very good at putting that into practice. I think growing up, I was always very, like I identified with um, issues of climate change and environmentalism, waste, that kind of thing. However, it's, I guess, like a lot of young people, you're like, an adult needs to fix this problem. Mm That's terrible, but you just kind of sit there and you just watch it and you criticize it, but you don't really get stuck in or get involved and be part of the solution. So I guess the turning point several years ago was when I decided that I'm a big girl now. I can do things myself. I can look at my own consumption. I can try and influence others. I can be a a part of the solution, I guess. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of my journey probably from more like I identify with this. I agree with this to I actually want to. Be more of a participant Mm -hmm. and um, do something to make a change. New Zealanders and Australians are very practical in nature. And I think when we were growing up, I guess recycling was a, a big thing. And there was a great campaign in New Zealand keep New Zealand beautiful, uh, be a good Kiwi, put it in the bin. So that was drilled into me from a very young age. We just lived pretty simply, I guess, which is really nice, a nice way to grow up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I suppose that's probably um, in terms of my upbringing. So pretty run of the mill, really, not um, with a huge slant towards environmentalism, but society as well and the marketing efforts by the government back back in the day about putting things in the bin. That actually has made an impact and that's important as well. We're so lucky, having said that, it was drilled into us at such a young age, and um, it became part of the the national psyche, and mm-hmm. um, and even things like the cartoon Captain Planet, like you can't disregard <laughs> things like that for normalising those types of environmental behaviours. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. We were very lucky, and um, not everybody in the world is so privileged to kind of be exposed to those ideas from a young age.
1: Yeah, that's true. Things like Captain Planet, sort of normalising it and also making it... O- Like you're giving kids the vocabulary to call out people for doing the wrong thing.
0: Yes, exactly, yeah. Because it's
1: so easy to throw something in the bin and then you don't see it anymore and it's just gone and you just stop thinking about it. I
0: know. And that is a blessing and a curse, I guess, because Mm -hmm. while recycling was a big thing and um, making sure things went into the correct bins, once it happens, we're not exposed to our waste anymore. It's kind of a sanitized Type thing where you put something in the bin and you just forget about it, out of sight, out of mind. So yeah, I, I suppose and it's a blessing and it's a curse. And I I guess when you go to other places where there's not such an infrastructure built around recycling and waste management, yeah, you just realise how sanitised I guess it is. And I mean, we definitely have our fair share of landfills here in Australia and mm-hmm. also in New Zealand. And if you've ever been to one. When I was a kid I used to go to the landfill with my father and it was it was kind of fun at the time and I was like oh I might be able to find something here that like I can take home which is pretty disgusting really but I think it took me a really long time to realize ah oh, okay so it's it's sitting at the landfill it's not breaking down I think a really pivotal moment for me was when I heard that every plastic toothbrush ever made is not going to break down. It's going to take a thousand years to break down. And before it does, it turns nasty and toxic and may or may not turn into microplastics in the ocean. But I guess it's just something that's kind of hidden away from society in a way. And we don't really think about it. So when we're consuming something, we don't don't think so much about the end result of of where our goods are going.
1: So many people don't even make the connection between what they're throwing in the bin and the fact it's going to landfill that. Once kids, especially, actually find out what happens to this stuff and then th- they can make that connection mm. in their head, it's amazing. But oh, like, what was the circumstance that took you along to the landfill with your dad?
0: I guess in Melbourne, it's really common to have roads curbside recycling. Mm-hmm. Um, that was a, I believe back at, uh, at the time, that was a paid subscription service. In New Zealand. So it was more common for people to bundle up their waste and put it into a trailer and take it off to the landfill Mm -hmm. rather than putting it out for curbside collection. And curbside collection is really, really convenient and really awesome.
1: So it was you, your family taking stuff to the tip and you're like, I want to go along and Mm. you went and saw what landfills were like yeah
0: yeah exactly there might even be young kids today that are growing up that probably haven't been to a landfill before it's not something i ever really thought about and kind of took for granted it's just like oh yeah that's one of those places but they are they're huge absolutely huge
1: archaeologists love coming across the rubbish heaps of old societies (laughs) you know like if they're doing a dig in the british isles if they find the midden heap the the waste heap of a tribe That's a jackpot because you see everything they ate, everything they did, all the stuff they threw away. And I think... And even as a kid like you get that little sense of like you're a little anthropologist you want to go see like not just my broken toy that's being taken to the landfill what are all this, what's all this other stuff what so what else true. could i ask for at christmas cuz like, it's like yeah, exactly. exposure to like a toy store filled with everything oh, but in so broken true. form
0: Yeah, i hadn't thought about it like that before but yeah i guess what will the people digging up our landfills in the future think and and what we're consuming very interesting thought i haven't thought about that before i think
1: we had everything <laughs> we had too much of everything
0: oh we do yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> All right. So how did you find the the jobs you were doing between you know, this childhood you had and then starting Big Little Brush and being involved with this startup?
0: I've always been really interested in online businesses and technology. So at university, that was one of my areas of study, along with psychology. When I left university, I worked for a New Zealand company called Trade Me, which is a great Kiwi company, good online business there. Probably my most interesting job I've ever had was in the site security tra- team at TradeMe. Yeah, it was very interesting insight into human behaviour, I guess, and mm. some funny things and yeah, come in
1: handy in future endeavours.
0: <laughs> exactly. So not an environmental role by any stretch of the imagination, but mm. it was yeah really interesting to me at the time.
1: Yeah, for the non Kiwi listeners, that really, even if that job was just for the career opportunities, TradeMe really was the the height of the e commerce sector in New Zealand. It really was. Why did you leave TradeMe?
0: I left TradeMe Me a wee while ago, primarily because I wanted to go traveling. <laughs> we packed up our bags and um, we sold all of our stuff, which was a really interesting exercise in itself. I guess you don't really realize how much stuff you accumulate over the course of several years and several house moves and things like that. You tend to accumulate a lot of things. The
1: stuff that's just in the boxes from one or two or three moves ago that you never unpacked and now you're like... Do I, I finally have to get rid of it? But why is this so hard?
0: <laughs> I know you just develop such an attachment to items, and it's uh, pretty crazy, really. I didn't—I certainly didn't do it from any environmental perspective or anything like that. But eventually, got down to about a big backpack worth of stuff. So yeah, for anyone that's never done that before, it's—it's it's a hard feeling to describe. Being able to carry all of your possessions just on your back—I would highly recommend it. It mm. was the most like freeing thing I've ever experienced. I think. I just think it takes a lot of stress away. I mean, it sounds strange, but the more things that you own, that takes up a slight mental load. Mm -hmm. And so, it was really nice to be free of, of all that stuff. And like you said, it was really hard to say goodbye to some things and some items that you hang on to for a really long time. Then, yeah, I travelled for a wee while. It was something I'd always wanted to do. And being a fellow New Zealander, it's probably a rite of passage that a lot of Kiwi Kiwi kids go through. It's
1: kind of that inevitable thing, the the big overseas experience.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think probably because New Zealand is really, really far from so many other countries, it's very expensive to fly to Europe, for example. So you don't just pop over to Europe for a holiday. One does not simply do that. No, Uh, Time and money does not allow for that. So... It's so, But
1: backpacking, so you really were living with just that, mm. that pack's worth of possessions yes. for just under a year.
0: Yeah, exactly. So you really notice every single thing that, that you have in your bag. So you so. become a
1: much more discerning consumer.
0: Exactly, yeah. And everything has to earn its place in the backpack, so it has to be good for multiple uses. So, mm-hmm. you know, you don't just have sometimes items in there. You have a jumper that's good for this, 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 and this. <laughs> But um, at the time, I had never really heard of minimalism as a concept. Mm-hmm. That became a thing, I don't know, it kind of hit the, the general psyche several years ago, minimalism, and um, I discovered some podcasts and things about it, and I was like, ah, that's what that feeling is. I get it now. I get what minimalism is. I now have a word for that
1: <laughs> thing that I have experienced. Yeah,
0: exactly. That's, that's good. Yeah.
1: Like I said, even if you're not going overseas, but you find yourself kind of overwhelmed with other stuff, say... You're overwhelmed with thinking about climate change and sustainability stuff, but you've also got the weight of, I've got a full house and I never know where to put new stuff and yeah. so much stuff I don't use anymore. If you just downsize that and go minimal, that'll free up at least some of your your mental capacity to handle other stuff.
0: Exactly. It's a hard thing to explain, but it does do something to your mind. So it does free up some space there, uh, when you have less possessions. I did actually read a study a wee while ago. It was a study on small children and the effect that all of the toys and things that they have on there is on their anxiety levels.
1: Huh. So they
0: found that the children that had more toys. So the kids that had like loads and loads of toys, they found that their stress levels on average were higher than the children who had less toys. I read that and I thought, ah, oh, I really understand that mindset. I understand what they're talking about.
1: There's a point where you give people too many options and mm-hmm. then they're less happy with their inevitable choice than if you've just given them two or three options. Yeah. And like, and that's not as happy as the person who just didn't have a choice.
0: Yeah, that's so true. Yeah. Option overload, uh, yeah. option fatigue. <laughs> yeah. It's a real thing. Talking about sustainability.
1: Sustainability is a very commonly used word. It means different things to different people. Do you have a, a vision for how sustainable you, you want to be in your life? Because there's definitely people who... Are more sustainable than me, and I want to be more sustainable, but I couldn't be where they're at. So you know, there's this family living up in rural Victoria that a lot of people have heard of. They, there's Art is Family on Facebook. They live a very neo-peasant lifestyle. They they live out on a farm, grow all their own food, don't buy anything. But I could never do that. So mm-hmm. like, do you have like a, a limit in your head to how sustainable you're willing to, to go?
0: That's a very good question, actually. And I honestly, I'm so impressed by people that do things like that. Like, wow, just big ups to them for changing their entire lifestyle to to kind of meet their sustainability goals. I'm much the same as you. I, I live a relatively normal lifestyle. I um, live in a city. I'm not somebody that's kind of particularly like writing these goals down or being super structured about it, but I just try and make small progress changes where I can. Mm -hmm. I feel for me that's the most achievable way of kind of making incremental changes with sustainability. It's it's a tough thing, like to go from having a, a regular life as a regular consumer right through to the, the people right on the cutting edge of sustainability like the people that you mentioned and and the types of people that have all of their trash in a mason jar for example super impressive amazing but i think what people uh, need to realize is that it takes so many steps between now and then to get to that point um not everybody has that in mind for their lifestyle they don't mm-hmm. You know, everyone has different pressures. Some people have um, children and uh, parents to care for. They have to live in a certain location for a certain reason. Everybody's journey is going to be completely different, but I kind of liken sustainability. A little bit too dieting. <laughs> hmm. So when you go on a crash diet, for example, if you if you were gonna say, I'm never gonna consume another piece of plastic in my entire life ever, and I'm never gonna buy another piece of clothing ever again, that's an awesome aspiration to have. But if you were to just bam, stop doing everything that you're doing in your daily life, you know, still with the same job, with the same life pressures, you're kind of setting yourself up for a big failure. So I think the best approach, just like, you know, health as well is to make small changes in your life and just keep building on those changes. And also don't get too down on yourself. If you do make a mistake, if you slip up for a period of weeks or months, just recognize how that makes you feel as well. So for myself personally, when I try and make changes and then I do find myself slipping up, I just kind of analyze, why did I do that? How do I feel about backsliding in in Mm -hmm. that way, which I perceive as backsliding. And don't get discouraged as well. I think there's a lot of people out there who are trying to make changes in their life. Like myself, I've got many friends who are doing the same things as well. And Mm -hmm. sparing each other on is like a big part of that. And just making sure that you're encouraging people around you as well. One thing that I have noticed is that's not that helpful is there are certain people who have done really well and absolutely kicking at being sustainable excuse my french
1: <laughs> for it. and
0: i i do see sometimes that they tend to be very critical of others and where they're at on their journey so mm-hmm. you can't look at another person's life and say everything that i'm doing f- for them should be easy mm-hmm. that's a hundred percent not the case everyone has different pressures and life stress and that's never really a good way to approach things anyway a positive psychology has been shown that encouraging people and helping them with their well-being and has actually shown to make more changes in the long mm-hmm. run than criticizing people and that's just right. going to discourage people and also discourage you know what you're about also yes. so yeah. you've got to be mindful of your if you're making changes in your life and you're claiming sustainability How are your actions impacting the cause of sustainability as well?
1: I I probably shouldn't say any of this, you know, given that you studied psychology and could probably diagnose me with like narcissism and delusions of grandeur. But like, for me, when I asked what does sustainability mean, I come at it from a very kind of philosophical way where I'm like, I'm sustainable if like the only way I could call myself sustainable is I was living in a way that if it was replicated by everyone else on the planet if we could continue on living in this exact same way for a thousand years without anything being exhausted or running out. Like that's mm. sustainability means to my head. But that's like such an artificial thing. <laughs> like, like nothing I think I think would meet that standard because the way we live right now is such a product of very specific times in the course of human history and geological history and natural history and, <laughs> and just honestly the weather. Like we're not in a mini ice age, we're like in the current period. And
0: mm. I think
1: your way of looking at it is probably going to help me a lot personally, how I think about sustainability going forward. So. Mm.
0: No, that's quite right to sustain. And I often think that way is, is, the way that I'm living today. If everybody in the world took this action, is, is that going to be a good thing or is that going to be a bad thing? Mm-hmm. If I, you know, discard my litter here and everybody also discards their litter there, obviously that's not a good thing, right? No, it's a very good way of thinking about it. I, it's something I certainly share as well.
1: Hello, it's Mark here. Sorry for the quick interruption. We're just about to get into the big little brush part of this interview, but before we do, I just want to let you know about something exciting that Climactic is working on with the good students of the University of Melbourne. We're working with one of the student groups at the university to put on a competition for the entire student body. So that's over 60,000 students, and the competition is quite simple. We want to hear a story. Think of it as a combination between a TED Talk and American Idol but all about climate change. We know the students at the university, across all fields, across all subjects, are brushing up against climate change topics. Because this isn't climate change, it's everything change. So whether you're a vet student, a food student, a media student, a business student, we want to hear about how something you're studying is going to be affected or is already being affected by climate change. Patagonia, Big Little Brush, and a few other companies as well have all put up pretty great prizes. And the winner will also get an episode of Climactic devoted just to them. So if you or someone you know would make a great science communicator, just head over to climactic.fm slash competition for all the details applications close july 31st so get in fast and now back to laura wilson how great is it we live in a time where we don't all have the classic english teeth not just to pick on the english but like <laughs> in a time of great oral hygiene and an amazing dentistry and I'm i'm a kid that had braces and retainers i had like a big gap tooth that got put together and i had like a bit of skin taken out of my mouth and Amazing. So now the least I can do to repay my parents for that is to, to brush my teeth regularly. Mm, so
0: yes. I'm
1: a good boy. I took on board with my dentist said. I use an electric toothbrush.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's that's the best thing I can do in the world, right? Wait, I, I said world.
0: <laughs> that... <laughs> In your world, perhaps. <laughs> that's right. I'm
1: just setting it up for you for a nice t-ball hit. Yeah, sure. What am I doing that's, that's absolutely wrong, Laura? Ooh,
0: well, uh, I can pick up on one thing. Toothbrushes are made of plastic, sadly. And as I mentioned before, one of the crazy things that I found out and was absolutely shocked by is that every plastic toothbrush ever made still exists today, sadly. Plastic takes around a thousand years to break down, depending on the type of plastic and the environment that it's exposed to. When it's breaking down. So to me, that just kind of startled me when I found that out. And obviously the same applies for plastic water bottles, other plastic items as well. So mostly single use items are the ones that are commonly found in marine debris and, mm-hmm. and things like that, which is really, really sad. But yeah, oral healthcare is super important as well. So we've got to find a really good way to bridge that gap. Yeah. So basically big little brush is a social enterprise and we take something small like a bamboo toothbrush and we aim to do something really big like support oral hygiene as a whole. Big Little Brush has two main missions. So one is environmental and one is more human focused. And the more we learn about these two things, the more we realise that they're so intertwined that environmental issues are social issues and vice versa. Basically what Big Little Brush does is our core business is that we sell bamboo toothbrushes. We believe that bamboo is a much better option than plastic. It's a really easy to grow. It's actually a grass, not a tree. I learned that too. That was an interesting fact. Now Um, I
1: did too. mm,
0: Wow. Bamboo is very easy to grow and it obviously is 100% biodegradable, which is a really, really good plus. And we donate our profits to organisations that are doing oral care work in Australia. And potentially we're not limiting ourselves to Australia forever, but at the moment we've chosen a few projects in particular that we're really passionate about. Joel basically founded Big Little Brush because he found that he was very privileged in some dental care that he got living in Australia and it prompted him to do a little bit more research. And he found that in Australia there's one dentist to 5,000 people, but in other parts of the world, such as the Democratic Republic of Congo, there's one to five million. So dental healthcare is something that we completely take for granted.
1: I wouldn't want to be that dentist.
0: No, exactly. You'd be completely busy and run be off your feet. You'd very bed.
1: sick of looking at teeth.
0: <laughs> you would the be pro- so the
1: problem is most of those 5 million would never see a
0: dentist. That's correct. That's exactly the point. And after a little bit more research as well, of that one to 5,000 within Australia, it's very skewed towards... The major centres, the metropolitan areas, so Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, Perth, you are much more likely to be able to see and pay for um, dental treatment if you live in one of those major centres. However, there's plenty of rural areas in Australia and communities that don't have the same access. The health outcomes of those rural communities are versus living in a city like Melbourne, are wildly different. There's a huge gap there. And sadly, the gap with Indigenous healthcare outcomes is widening between city dwellers and and some Indigenous communities as well. So that's a problem that's really close to our hearts. So I guess that spurred the idea for Big Little Brush. And we wanted to sell bamboo toothbrushes in order to support these programs.
1: Is this a problem that's fixable through these programs? Or is it kind of just help bring attention and and help in in a small way? But the fact that you know we just have a massive population disparity between city and country here in Australia, and then rural communities have a massive transportation gap out to them as well, and then then there's the is, is it simply a more of a funding issue? Do you know that sort of? Well, what are the programs aiming to, to do about the, the sure. problem?
0: It's a few factors actually. Mm. So certainly distance is a huge factor, but also cultural norms and education is a big factor around oral care, health comes uh, health. Health comes, I made a new word. <laughs> yeah, there Health you go. outcomes. <laughs> so we work with two organisations. One is called Indigigrins, and they are based here in Victoria. And when we first started working with with Indigigrins, um, who who run a programme uh, in Hamilton in Victoria, we assumed that they were a large organisation and they had a several people working full-time on the project. But it turns out there's just one amazing man, Stuart Wilder, in Hamilton in Victoria that maintains this entire programme. And he also has a full-time job. So it's just what a legend. (laughs) And (laughs) so we were really, we're really into what they do. And so as a, as a startup, we were very lucky to be able to contribute some of our startup capital two Indigigrins. It was a modest amount where we, we had several things to, to kind of do to set up the business but we felt that it was really important to, to get on the front foot and mm. put our money where our mouth is basically. Right from the start. That's really impressive. Yeah, so they run a very good program. So the program consists of lots of education. So they do provide the kids with these great diagrams I guess with a Dreamtime Snake on it and they can check off the days where they brush their teeth on that oh, diagram So good. and they do have people in the community working with the kids with the parents to to make sure that they are doing the right behaviors in terms of oral care and kids advent calendar for yeah yeah exactly like an advent calendar so they're very adorable they're doing a fantastic job and anything that we can do to support people like that we're all over and we also work with another organization called red dust So their programs are run mainly in the Northern Territory. But conveniently, the Red Dust headquarters are located in Hawthorne, which is very close to where um, we work. So we've met a few people from Red Dust and they are also very incredible people. Their programs are centred around healthy living and being good role models. One of the things that they do as part of the healthy living program in the Northern Territory is they provide kids toothbrushes and get them to actually brush their teeth at school, which is really neat. And how great would that be is... For any parent to. It seems
1: so obvious as well, right? Yeah, but they've yeah. actually done it, which yeah. is great because someone just has to start to show that it's a good idea.
0: Yeah, well, exactly. That's- and norms and what's expected and what's normal is a big part of behaviors like that and I just I just thought it was really cool I'm sure like many I'm not a parent myself but I'm sure many parents would be like yay I don't have to worry about making my kids brush their teeth yep. <laughs> at home so I mean I've heard it's quite hard to get <laughs> kids to brush their teeth properly it was, um, it was hard home. to get me to brush my teeth as I did, so <laughs> I
1: yeah I assume my kids will be the same one of these days <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, so they, true. They sound like two amazing organizations to partner with. That's, yeah. It's so great that, like, you know, and ask you to describe the company, like, the, the purpose is so front of mind. And As you said, you started on the front foot straight away. You wanted to start the business because you thought this product should be out in the market, and you can get bamboo toothbrushes, but it is, it is difficult. They're not really in, you know, in retail mm-hmm. as much yet. Yeah. But was it more important to you guys, do you think, and it doesn't have to be one or the other, but, like... When you guys started it, was it the product should be out there or you want to do the product to support these projects?
0: Actually, it started so that we could support the projects. That's fantastic. Yeah, so we're really lucky to have found these two projects as well. We feel so honoured to be able to support them and the amazing work that they do. There's actually five of us now on the team and we're not – program managers. We don't deliver these programs personally. We've got a bunch of different skills right from accounting to photography and design marketing. So we've got a bunch of different skills on the team and we want to use the skills that we have as uh, I guess business people you'd call us or business type skills. And we want to use those skills to support people who are on the ground doing that type of work because they really need the support and they are so good at what they do. Big Little Brush was just getting started. We thought, do we want to develop a program of our own? Uh, But I guess we soon found that the answer was no. There are people out there doing amazing work, but they just need financial and Mm. other types of support.
1: You guys can be an engine. You can be in the commercial space producing a product, selling it. You don't have to start your own project. The project's found you guys to run the business for them to to supply them with money, basically.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things about running programs like that and, and not-for-profit organizations in general is that they're generally, they get their funds through a lot of fundraising a lot of mm-hmm. the time. And that is a very time-intensive activity.
1: Takes them away from what they need to be doing. Totally.
0: Yeah. And it's it's also an uncertain source of revenue for them. There's kind of like, you know, big influxes, I guess, at a certain time of year. Budgeting has to happen over a long term to make that money sustain until the next round of funding. You're never really 100% sure that that funding is going to hit your back bank account that's the right
1: following year so it's hard to keep on staff to keep programs running to mm, deliver dependably and reliably it's
0: yeah so i do see social enterprises solving one of those problems and that's to provide a more sustainable and reliable source of income to people doing great work out there
1: so you guys you know you're selling a product to support a project that is telling a story really you guys are selling a story through a product As you know you just gave me one of the boxes before we came in here mm-hmm. and it says you know is it Little Brush Big
0: Impact? Little I Brush guess. is doing big things. There is, we go. Is our yes. strap line, I guess. And um, yeah, that's something that we've used on our social media and things like that. And we wanted to come up with a strapline that was catchy and that people could get the essence of what we're doing just through one sentence and kind of communicate that in a short space of time. That's and right. I'd, I'd say characters.
1: with a couple more, like, you know, five minutes of, of hearing the context behind it, I'd say that's, that's definitely true. And that is, it's so great to be able to be part of that just by buying into it through a toothbrush. Mm. And still like everybody needs a toothbrush. So you may yeah, as well correct. buy one that's going to support something bigger. So so I really understand the, the purpose of what you're doing, Laura. But then maybe we can talk a bit more about the product and see why did you – because it sounds like you could have been really selling just about anything. It's It was just a way to to do something – a product properly in the, the right way, but in pursuit of something larger. So why this product and and why in this way?
0: Mm. We could be doing exactly what we're doing, supporting uh, the organisations that we want to by using a plastic toothbrush as well. Hmm. In fact, it would be a lot cheaper to manufacture plastic toothbrushes than it is bamboo. However, we truly believe that we don't want to create more problems by trying to solve one problem. Mm. So again, there comes the intersection between social issues and environmental issues. We really can't be kind of contributing to the plastic problem and trying to solve another problem. That's something that we truly believe because sustainability is one of our core missions in in the company. And that kind of flows through from the bamboo toothbrush through to our packaging also. Um, I heard the excellent quote, waste is a design flaw, because you've got to think about where your product comes from first and foremost. We've got a good relationship with our suppliers, our toothbrush. Brushes are made in China. Not me personally, but Andrew and Joel have been over to China to do some due diligence mm-hmm. around researching the suppliers. They visited the uh, where the toothbrushes are made and and also a few other factories in the area just to really get a feel for who's making the toothbrushes, the conditions of the factories and that kind of thing as well. All of our toothbrushes come in our card- 100% recycled cardboard packaging as well. So that forms our post pack and we just slap a mailing sticker on the front of that and, yeah, it comes to your door without any plastic because we really do want to avoid creating more problems and contributing to the plastic problems and trying to to solve another problem. We just see that as not being very helpful. So what about the end of life of the product then?
1: So if it's 100% recycled cardboard, can I recycle it as normal in the recycling bin?
0: Yes, I, I chuck my packaging into the recycling bin. Excellent. Um, and what about
1: the brush itself? I, I mm-hmm. was talking this interview over with a friend of mine who runs a community garden in South Melbourne today. And he's like, I wanted to get a bamboo toothbrush. I, I got one. And then I didn't know what to do with it at the end. Cause <laughs> it's it's organic product. I can't throw it in the... Recycling bin. If I throw Mm. it in the landfill bin, I assume it'll break down. But I don't know enough about that process to feel good doing it. He put it in his worm farm, and apparently, it stayed there for about four months. Hmm. He's like, "I've just I kept moving it between the trays. It just came (laughs) back to taunt me." Oh no! (laughs) So, what do you think about? Like, what do you recommend people do with a bamboo brush at the end? Yeah, sure.
0: End of life is a really important consideration for any type of product as well. So the way that we recommend disposing of a big little brush is to snap off the head and put the head into the bin and put the tail, I guess, no, not tail, handle. Yes, there you <laughs> <into> go.
1: <laughs> it took me a second there as well. Yeah.
0: Into the compost, yeah. So it will it will eventually break down. Mm-hmm. Because it's such, bamboo is such a robust hardwood, it's probably... I think it's one of the hardest woods available. It will take a little bit of time to break down, but it doesn't contain any chemicals or anything like that, so it's not going to kind of mess with the quality of the compost heap. And the bristles as well, it's important to note, that is one of those things that is we have tried really hard to find a really good solution too so you can actually get bamboo fibre bristles however that didn't make it through our product testing because the bristles are very very abrasive mm-hmm. to the point where it's not good for your yeah, oral health to causing be causing gum damage yeah exactly not only gum damage but damage to your enamel as well so mm-hmm. the dentist's recommendation is to go for the softest toothbrush that you can I know a lot of people like a harder toothbrush and just like to scrub really hard but that's not doing your enamel any favours and also can um, wear away at your Bums as well so sadly, that iteration of bristles didn't make it through our product testing. We do use nylon 4 now, which is a biodegradable type of nylon. That's, I guess at the moment, that's the industry best in class that you can you get for a toothbrush bristle. But having said that, we, Big Little Brush does not have to be bamboo forever. We are always looking out for ways to improve our product, whether that's the bristles or even the handle itself. And um, some of the conversations that we've been having recently is why do you even have to throw away a toothbrush at all? Can Can there be a way to, like your electric toothbrush, um, you know, is there a way to somehow do that sustainably as well? And it's definitely something on our minds. I guess the big little brush of today, while it is, I personally think it's a really beautiful toothbrush, uh, might not necessarily be the big little brush of tomorrow. um, We're looking for ways to improve on the product, to improve the sustainability of it and also just to, to make it a better product in general for its function. Yeah, very good.
1: A couple quick questions, because I sorry we're slightly over time on the studio, and there's I don't know what is going on right now. This (laughs) banging—it's like meant to be in a library of all places, a quiet place. It's a lot of banging. Sounds like someone's having a rock concert in here. It does. Quick one. Good on you. The app that does like Mm. fashion and brand reporting Mm. and reviewing of their animal treatment, labor practices, and environmental standards, and like. Sort of Mm -hmm. measuring what the company says they want to do against what they are doing. Mm -hmm. I've been using it quite a lot in the last few days. I was really surprised actually. It's Swan Dry. I really wanted to get a Swan Dry, this like flannel like hoodie jacket thing. I wanted it so much. I looked them up and they just they do not report anything that they do. What a
0: shame.
1: Read into it a bit more and like it's uh, so so Swan Dry where the the two Kiwis are having. (laughs) You know, all but our dads had, had swan swan swannies. Is very swan
0: uh, swan dried is a very Kiwi thing.
1: Very. It's, uh, it, so it, it is New Zealand wool. It gets, of course, mm. sent to China to be manufactured. And then it comes back and they're having a massive problem in New Zealand for the last couple of years. It's formaldehyde in, oh, no. in wool product that's oh, coming dear. back. It's, and it's 100 tons a day of textiles from China arriving in New Zealand. Ugh. 100 tons a day. That's like the weight of like everyone in my hometown combined a That's day huge. coming into new zealand That's so huge. like the formaldehyde levels were like 70 times above safe levels just because they didn't want any mildew or any smell or anything after being in shipping containers but mm. yeah swan dry's rating is like zero zero oh. zero because they just simply do not talk about it interesting what do you think about a big little brush like being on a platform like that mm. saying like here's the standards first of all you have to find out are there any standards in this space? Mm-hmm. And if not, yeah. well, somebody would probably be very happy, uh, and Ernst Young or somebody, to work with you to be like, well, here's what you're doing. Yes, we agree. That should be best practices. Now we're going to go ask Colgate and Oral-B, here are the standards that this great company is using. Do you agree to to put those as your goals and say, two mm-hmm. years, four years, five years? Yeah. Is this something you guys would look at? And it would be really handy for the consumer like me to, to know, be able to quantify why I'm getting something that's better. But exactly why
0: it's better? Mm, no, very, very good question. I think transparency is so, so important, and I, I love the app. Got on you, and I looked up Icebreaker, another New Zealand brand that makes merino wool, and they are really good on there. So, Excellent. if you are in need of something, I along do. Those I need lines. a jacket. <laughs> <laughs> it's very cold here in Melbourne. Uh, Yes, but absolutely. That's something that's on our mind. So transparency is one of our values. And anyone that uh, follows us on social media throughout our product launch journey will know that we're very open about everything that we do. So yeah, as we grow 100%, we want to be involved with things like that. Another body that's doing really good work in that space is B Corp. So B Corporations. I have looked into the potential of us going down that path. We haven't fully decided whether we will attempt the certification for B Corp. But I think those things are helpful for consumers. I don't know about you. I don't spend a lot of time reading labels and doing things like that, but I always buy fair trade chocolate because I know that's a brand that I can trust. And
1: mm, our certification. Mm, yeah.
0: Exactly. So I think certifications and things like that are super, super important so that people know that they're making the right environmental choices when they are buying items. I think it's definitely something that we'll we'll be doing in the future Fantastic. as we grow.
1: Yeah. It's really good to hear from the perspective of someone who's, who's starting out. It's very relatable. Like, the, the thought of actually going and getting certified for this stuff, it can be daunting. There's always hoops to jump through, and
0: it's, it's worth that work, mm, I think. I think so. I think... Putting in the time and effort initially to get those things right, especially as we we're a startup, it's probably the perfect time for us to be thinking about mm-hmm. those types of things now, because that's really going to set the tone for how you conduct your business in the future. Yeah, so yeah, set and mm.
1: solidified and hard to change now. Mm-hmm. Right? Now yes. you're a bit more like jelly. <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, we're a bit more um, adaptable, I guess, at this stage. Would you see this
1: company is kind of like appear in the same space of? you know, a social enterprise but like we're here because we want to support these projects therefore we're selling this product who gives a crap they're australian wide i think mm. they're in sydney um the toilet paper brand that offers subscription toilet paper it's environmentally friendly as as much as i can toilet paper it's guaranteed you know on sumatran mm-hmm. rainforest free paper pulp and everything and they mm-hmm. give it's it's a pretty hefty chunk yeah. to to project five percent
0: fifty percent fifty percent i love who gives a crap they are amazing but i think they're just such a market leader as well in the social enterprise space their communications are hilarious if you're subscribed to their emails or follow them on social media they use so many hilarious toilet joke puns that you'll be entertained into buying toilet paper basically <laughs> so they're doing it very very well and we're super inspired by their journey as well
1: very good. So, so you're not afraid to say you kind of you're you're following their lead on that.
0: I feel like they're such a leader in mm. in that space, and they've kind of made social enterprise a normal thing that people do and a really viable business model. They're doing so well; their business is growing so much. So yeah, ab- absolutely, we're super inspired by Who Gives a Crap. I buy their products; they're really good. <laughs> if, if, if that's a thing. Free endorsement,
1: <laughs> right there. You you spend money on it yourself.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. They are fabulous. Yeah.
1: Very I highly good. recommend
0: them. Very convenient service as well. It just gets delivered to the door. You don't have to schlep home with your bale of toilet paper from the supermarket. Probably just to, to wrap it up quickly. Um, Just quickly, how how old is Big Little Brush now? mm we we launched in September last year. So hmm. yeah, Very we'll be new. coming up one year in a few months' time. So yeah. gone really fast. There was a lot of kind of work that went in before we launched, just in terms of doing product testing and can't launch development. until we got something to sell, I exactly. guess right. And we we did take a lot of time to do that process mm-hmm. as well because we wanted to get it right. But yeah, so coming up a year since our public launch last September. So that's exciting.
1: Very good. Probably this is a, a bit more of a speculative question, one for sort of down the road. I mean, you guys aren't one yet. But can you see – you know, you said Big Little Brush, the product right now, is subject to change. You're going to go with the best thing you can that's available that you can deliver. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. What do you think about social enterprises like this that want to expand and grow into larger companies, expand their product range and stuff? Mm-hmm. Do you think your vision for Big Little Brush, is it to stay kind of a focused sort of single product, strongly linked to projects – company or mm-hmm. if you wanted to support other projects in different realms, would you consider just starting a new company to do that
0: mm. or grow
1: Big Little Brush into more of an umbrella?
0: Uh, current thinking is that we'd probably grow li- Big Little Brush into um, a slightly larger company. We mm-hmm. have talked about other products and things as well. It's all very exciting, but we, I think the general vibe in the team is now that we really want to nail... What we're doing currently, mm-hmm. and do it really well. So there's actually a really large market in toothbrushes as well. There's 23 million people in Australia who brush their teeth. Hope, hopefully, all of them.
1: And they buy four a year, yeah, um, on you know, exactly. average, yeah.
0: Mm, so we've got we've got a big market to work with, and so we're really focused on on really cutting through in that market. And I think importantly for us, as well as supporting the projects that we do, taking some of those 23 million toothbrushes that everyone will use in a three month period, and turning them into bamboo toothbrushes instead of plastic. So. I see our success measured obviously the work that we do with the organisations, but also how many toothbrushes we're saving from the landfill. Mm-hmm. Also, so swapping a plastic toothbrush for a bamboo toothbrush is also a very exciting measure of success for us.
1: And for me, the consumer, I'm I'm really motivated by the fact that I'm not just buying a toothbrush; I'm supporting a project and, and in a sustainable way that they can rely on. And I think that's amazing that you know, even if I was deciding between Colgate. Plastic toothbrush and Colgate's bamboo toothbrush. I know they don't have a uh, like larger narrative going on. There's no greater goal other than being a publicly traded company. So I I think Big Little Brush has a very persuasive story and, and I really look forward to being a customer going forward. Granted, I've still got an electric toothbrush. I don't know what to do. Like, I know I probably have to keep using my electrics. I've been told by my dentist I need to. Mm. Parents spent way too much money on my dental work <laughs> as a kid. So like, there's the vested energy. There's the investment. My wife, though, uses a manual toothbrush against mm-hmm. dentist advice. I'm sorry to throw you under the bus, babe, but you really should use it. anyways. So she'll be using our bamboo toothbrushes great. going forward. So I'll hear all about it.
0: That's awesome. Well, any feedback, send it our way, and we're really happy to to um, be helping your wife out in that way.
1: Bamboo heads for my electric toothbrush would be mm, great. That's Just, um.
0: So yes, there is definitely a um, a distinction between those two products: an electric toothbrush and a bamboo toothbrush. And yeah, it's it's definitely something that we're thinking about. Um, we haven't found an elegant solution yet for the bamboo an toothbrush. Engineering <laughs> nightmare. <laughs> it's yeah, it's not easy. But yeah, I think there's a great opportunity. In that space, because a lot of people really love using their electric toothbrush, and we certainly do not claim to go against any dentist advice. So, mm-hmm. you know, if somebody's told you that you need to be using that for your own oral health, then yeah, we certainly wouldn't want to go against that. Yeah, yeah. And, we'll and if like a
1: <laughs> Colgate or or anyone like that came to the table and said, "Hey, we want to include more." organics into our electric brush heads, well, I hope they would come to somebody like you and say, mm. hey, we also want to... They never would. Never mind. This is all being cut, I think said like, that, <laughs> I
0: think big corporates have a lot of money and power. So I guess one of the takeaway messages around that conversation is that Consumers have the power to vote with their dollars, mm-hmm. and those big corporations are going to have to listen because that's their bread and butter. You have the power as a consumer to to kind of force a particular outcome and vote with your dollars, whereas those companies will have to adapt to consumer change. And in doing that, if the consumers are demanding more environmentally friendly products, then that's what they're going to have to do. So
1: very. Yeah, very the power good. is
0: yours. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's a really good point, actually. I'm just sort of realizing a good way for me to understand that going forward is you you look at the big corporation, and think, oh, they have all the money and all the power, but that means that they've got so much more to lose mm. and so much pressure to keep up a certain level of sales because they've got so many employees, so many stakeholders, so many shareholders. Mm. God, they, mm-hmm. Yeah, they they have to be some of the fastest to move in the industry. Otherwise, they're uh, – They're really in trouble.
0: Exactly. And yeah, like while there's a lot of large companies out there doing destructive things to the environment, large companies also have the power to do really good things for the environment as well. So we'll see what happens in the future with that. Very
1: good. I think that's a pretty optimistic note. I always try (laughs) to find one of those. (laughs) I think. Very good. We're all still figuring it out.
0: Oh, exactly. I mean...
1: Depends on how much news you've read today to say (laughs) if you're an optimist or not.
0: That is very true. I try and stay away from... The negative news as much as I can. <laughs> very good,
1: very good. Well, um, I'm there's a lot more we can get into in a future episode, Laura. I'd love to have you back on. We didn't really touch that much on the actual climate change elements, but I think you're doing so much in that space with with Big Little Brush and the way you're living and the way you're you're treating and the way you're treating the people around you with with a level of, of optimism and encouragement. And thank you so much for being on the show. That really is what we're trying to highlight here: people who are just the the Quiet Warriors. <laughs> thank you very much oh, for You're us. so
0: welcome. Thanks for having me and giving us the opportunity to talk to your listeners and yeah, I could talk about this stuff all day, so I'll Fantastic. gladly come back anytime.
1: <laughs> That'll be lovely. Thank you, Laura.
0: Thanks. Cheers.
2: And that was a really interesting interview. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Mark. It's great that she's off to come back and chat more on personal sustainability. Mark, what were your main takeaways from the interview?
1: Well, the most vivid point is that the grim reality with toothbrushes is that every single one we've all owned still exists, and they'll still exist for another dozen generations.
2: That's really struck me as well, Mark, yeah.
1: But I also found this chat really inspiring, so just to get the, the grim stuff out of the way, no matter what you're buying, there's always other options out there.
2: Yeah, the power of the consumer dollar.
1: Yeah, and Laura really put that very well and kind of made me feel a lot more positive about it than I did before. And now that there are more and more of these social enterprises out there. If you go looking for them, you'll be really surprised at how many there are. And they're really subverting and improving our, our normal economy. If you choose to buy from a social enterprise, you're still getting the product you wanted. But your dollars, they carry on to do other great work. It's really creating a new socially responsible economy.
2: Yeah, and that's fantastic. With that in mind, Mark, we're happy to let our listeners know that Big Little Brush have done something special for all of us. They have a 10% discount available to Climactic listeners for all of Plastic Free July.
1: That's right. If you just go to biglittlebrush.org slash discount slash Climactic, the discount is applied at checkout. So uh, how easy was that for you, Rich?
2: Yeah, it was <laughs> It was easy and convenient to order, Mark, and I'm waiting at the letterbox as we speak, listeners, for the toothbrushes that were on their way. Next week I'll talk about my big little brush and which colour I ended up with.
1: Good luck. Now, you're just telling me this story, Rich. When your family gets toothbrushes, you're normally left with the uh, least popular colour, so uh, <laughs> I bet you get an orange one.
2: Yeah, probably, probably.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and here's some other people we'd like to thank to Caleb Fidicaro our producer thank you so much for your help this week mate Uh, check him out at hipsterjazzbow on twitter Abigail Hawkins our designer thank you so much Abby for your ongoing help with the University of Melbourne case competition. I really, Mm. really appreciate that. I wish I had a single designery bone in my body, but alas. (laughs)
0: Uh,
1: So Abby can be found at abigailhawkins.com. Please check her out and do hire her, folks. You will not regret it.
2: And to Greg Grassi, thanks as always to Greg for his wonderful theme music. He's available on SoundCloud at Chambers. That's C-H-A-M-B-R-E-S.
1: And he's got a new track out this week. It was just his birthday last week, so happy birthday to Greg. He's got a new track all about watermelon.
2: Fantastic.
1: (laughs) It's worth worth checking out.
2: (laughs) And Gretchen Miller, check her out her new project, Prevention Works, featuring Conversations with some of Australia's top public health experts.
1: It's great to actually listen to a podcast where everyone knows what they're talking about. So that's a great project, Gretchen. Well done. (laughs) Yeah. And thanks to Joel, Laura, and the whole team at Big Little Brush. Thank you guys so much for being the first company we've worked with on Climactic. Mm -hmm. We were so happy, both of us, to work with a group so aligned with our values of responsibility, sustainability, and avoiding climate change. We're really happy to call them mates.
2: And In the future, we'll be bringing to your attention more companies, social enterprises and groups doing other work. Uh, they will always be, like Big Little Brush, groups we fully endorse and are aligned with.
1: So if they're interested in sponsoring the show or have a story you'd like to tell, or would just like to have a chat with us.
2: And just say good day. We're at hello at climactic.fm
1: And Climactic Show on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Thanks everybody. And have a great week ahead.